Hello and welcome to the podcast. My name is Patrick Scally, your host. Um, you're probably wondering how you got here, why you got here. Uh, in a sea of podcasts, you might have been sent a link by a friend, a colleague. You might have seen something on social media that piqued your interest about this podcast. And now you're here. Um, you've probably consumed a million podcasts in your lifetime. Should you add this one to your pile? Well, I guess the best thing I thought I'd do in this introduction of the first episode was to explain a little bit about who I am, what this, uh, what the podcast is all about, and why I started this podcast in the first place. So myself, I'm a, uh, I'm a creative person by nature. Um, I grew up in the East Midlands in a small town called Horncastle. Found myself in London studying music technology about uh, 12 years ago, I think it was now. Um, and ever since then, I've kind of worked in East London, either on music projects, you know, whether running a label, uh, DJing, singing, performing, or uh, writing for other people. And then kind of interspliced in that time was working on the development of creative uh, studio spaces and workspaces. So I've always really been interested in the idea of how the agglomeration of people, you know, communities, physical spaces, you know, changes the makeup of an area or helps people by a sum of parts, you know, a rising tide lifting all boats, helps uh, diverse voices and interesting people essentially create amazing things, opportunity for others to get involved and experiences which lead to the betterment of society as a whole. Now, most recently, I found myself working for the local authority uh, here in East London that's the London Borough of Tower Hamlets and Hackney. My area of focus is Hackney Wick and Fish Island, an incredibly uh, diverse uh, powerhouse of creative and cultural activity, which has undergone masses of change over the generations. And in the most recent iteration, has certainly been a product of kind of rapid regeneration, some would say gentrification. And now we're kind of at a time where the Olympic legacy, the, the 2012 Olympic Games in London, hangs large over the area, has provided incredible amounts of opportunity, injected a lot of capital into the area. We now have the V&A, London College of Fashion, Sadler's Wells, the BBC, alongside companies like Ford, Matches Fashion, you know, the list goes on and on, BT. All of these kind of companies, the, the multinationals, the household names, sit alongside masses of SMEs, startups in um, all manner of disciplines, occupying shared workspaces in industrial warehouses or managed workspaces, all kind of commingling, working together to essentially, you know, form what is now Hackney Wick and Fish Island in the 21st century, the second decade, and a, and a kind of critical moment in the life cycle of this place. Now, my work specifically it's on a project called the Creative Enterprise Zone. Hackney Wick and Fish Island was one of the first creative enterprise zones. It's a project de developed by the Mayor of London. And so my job day to day, aside from delivering projects to help uh, the resilience of a, a kind of creative and cultural cluster, which is at risk of change, is that I get to interface and have conversations and work with an incredibly diverse set of voices, all with differing uh, areas of focus, uh, experience of the area, life experience. But I sense that all of the conversations have value beyond the, you know, the walls and the confines of the direct moment in time. And over time, I thought, you know, this would be a really great vehicle. This place is a really great vehicle. And these conversations are to essentially look to look outward and also inward to see how conversation can spark change and how spreading conversation beyond the confines of those people interacting in that moment and sharing it with the world can hopefully create a, a broader dialogue about how an area evolves, how everyone is represented, inclusive uh, economies are created, and essentially you know, use the, the powerhouse that is Hackney Wick and Fish Island as a way to attract voices from outside the area to come and have a conversation and bring their expertise, their skill, their knowledge, you know, really presencing what is happening here, and hopefully to work together to solve the problems of the area, question heuristics, and ultimately come to a, a fairer, better ecosystem, which we can all be really, really proud of. Lofty ambitions, I know, but hey, if you're going to create a podcast, you may as well create something that's different from the mould. Now, 
how I thought about this in terms of how can we structure this conversation? How can we make it different from others that are out there? Now, as soon as I put this out there, I'm sure many people will comment and say, hey, there's versions of this already, but fine, you know, one or 2% difference. So with the context of Hackney, Wick and Fish Island, hopefully is the difference, uh, the difference for now anyway, because hopefully lots more people have podcasts like this, conversations like this, and we birth something from this location. So the why behind this whole thing or how these podcasts are going to be structured, so to speak, is that I'm going to try and take a design thinking approach, a first principles approach to guiding these conversations from a problem statement to hopefully some actions that we can all question, take in um, and use, hopefully, um, in the short and long term. Ambitious in a short window, but I think a good way to structure the conversation rather than it being an a priori, you know, musings, hypotheses and off you go. The idea is that by the end of it, we come to a somewhat of a action point or two that anyone listening to this podcast can, you know, if they receive it well, can try to implement maybe as they work in this area directly, but also to use it in their area, you know, could be globally, they could be experiencing such changes in a creative and cultural cluster or agglomeration economy. We're very different sectors than what we have here, but hopefully the information will be useful and open people's thoughts and essentially create a, 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 a some momentum of change from the conversation. Now, I'm not a trained designer. As I said, I'm a musician first, come to economics later in life, but I'm not a trained designer. So any trained designers listening are probably going to say, you're not really doing this right, but I'm an admirer. I'm a fan. I'm a, a, a tourist, not a purist. Shout out to Virgil Abloh. So essentially, I'm probably going to do the design thinking stuff in a trimmed way, probably not textbook. But I think essentially the point of it is to use these things as milestones and stopgaps in a conversation to try and move us out of uh, ego-based thinking, heuristics and design, and try and place ourselves in the, in the broader context and the, and the real-life circumstances of people directly in this area and then also how we can use experiences outside of the area to inform what change we might make internally. So as a brief disclaimer, these views are not representative of the London Borough Hackney and Tower Hamlets. Of course, I'm employed by them, but these views are purely my own. And that's a nice little disclaimer so no one gets in trouble during these conversations. Certainly me. And I guess that's it in terms of a setup. Hopefully that gives you a good overview of how we got here, who I am, um, and importantly, why you want to keep on listening. So this is going to evolve over time, I'm sure, but I thought worthy of putting a little, uh, you know, marker in the sand, the first moment to give us a yardstick for how we're going to move forward and to, you know, lay some foundations for the conversations that are at hand. That rhymed, that was nice. But anyway, on to the guest. So there's always going to be a guest every episode. As I say, they might be someone who is a practitioner in the area, maybe a creative, maybe not. Uh, they could also be someone who works for the local authority, someone who works for a charity or a community interest company um, in various sectors, various backgrounds. And hopefully, you know, over time, the diversity of voices will coagulate into something really exciting and kind of form a new basis of a dialogue for the area, which goes beyond the area and reaches outwards. So my first guest, I thought rightfully so, someone who I've worked with very closely over the years and I'm an admirer of their work. Um, and they're very vital, I think, in the future of the area based on their experience, uh, previously working in the public sector, but now working on the ground in a community interest company, which as part of the Creative Enterprise Zone, we work in collaboration with directly to um, advance their agenda, which is very, very aligned with ours. Um, I'll let her explain that further in our conversation, but without further ado, here's my conversation with Alex Russell, the Executive Director of the Hackneywick and Fish Island Community Development Trust. Yeah, so I guess like starting this conversation, um, I think it'd be really good to understand a little bit about your journey, kind of what got you to this point in this conversation, your background, and kind of what led you to to here working on the Community Development Trust in Hackneywick and Fish Island. Yeah, great. Um, it's probably a really, really long tale, but maybe the sort of <laughs> the relevant... Those are the best stories. The relevant bits of it. Um, I guess I've, I've always been someone who's passionate about 
kind of issues of social justice. Um, so I, growing up as a little kid, I, I, you know, loved playing football. As a girl, was told girls can't play football, and so I was so incensed by this that I thought I, you know, I need to take stand on some of these things. It just was so confusing to me as why, just because of my gender, I couldn't play football. Mm. Now you look at the World Cup and you know how yeah, how sure. the women are doing everything. It's, it's amazing. So that kind of sort of set something off in me. And then the other thing is, you know, I'm I'm a gay woman, and I think I've struggled as a younger person kind of growing up in a world which hasn't accepted that um, and faced prejudice and, and had to sort of overcome that and work through that. So I sort of feel like, um, yeah, I feel a sense of trying to make the world a better, more equal society and place to be where everyone can have opportunities. And so I think that's where it starts from. And over my career, I've chosen roles that have been about trying to make societal change that started off in sport and I worked a lot on the Olympics actually when it was when we, when we won the bid and I worked all around kind of getting women and girls into sporting activities and things like that and then I <clears throat> went and worked in politics at a local level in Hackney Council um, and started to get an interest in kind of how communities work how um, how communities often can be left out of conversations around their place and their neighbourhood and sort of felt like I really wanted to get into how we can change that, how we can transform that. And so I did quite a lot of work with, with you know, through the council and with communities there. And then again, so started to build my career really and kind of focus it into that kind of regeneration space and how how communities can have voice in in place, in their place. Um, and that And that's kind of what I've been doing for the last... 15 or so years, I suppose, in different forms. I've worked for the private sector and I've worked for the public sector and I've worked for the voluntary and community sector. And now I run my own small little outfit mm-hmm. uh, and I'm a local resident and I think feel passionately about trying to do what I am doing across the country in different places in my own patch. And mm-hmm. I see the massive opportunity here because of the legacy of the Olympic project and, and the change that's happening in, in terms of the, in terms of the spaces and places that we can, you know, we, there, there is, there is an, there is an opportunity, I think for, for community to have a really significant voice and to do some quite interesting things mm. in a different way. So that's why. Yeah. So do you think it, the through line always being that sort of idea of kind of inclusivity and community voices and stuff, and that's been the, yeah, that, post-rationalize. Yeah, that's my see. driving force, I suppose. If he, if I sort of have to say what, like, like what's my north star? It's I try to always think about how do, yeah, how how do you give a community agency? How do you give individuals agency within you know community settings? So, um, because I, in my experience, it's like when you when those things start to change and people have more control and more, um, they have more control over their sort of destiny, I suppose, then a whole load of innovation and interesting things can happen. Mm. And it's sort of thinking about community as an asset and people within that about thinking about all the talents and all the, um, all the contributions people can make. And actually, how do we unlock that? How do we enable that? How do we facilitate that? How do we make it easier for people to do that? Because I think that's when like really interesting things happen. And, you know, you see it in Hackney Wick, the, you know, the, and the creative industry sort of like leading the way a little bit on this is like, you know, they've they've found what was historically kind of relatively cheap space in a place that, that where there wasn't much industry, and they've and they've they've brought about a whole lot of enterprise and small business and local economy and creative practice, and it's become this really fabulous place. And well, I mean, I think it you know it, it was a fabulous place, but it's developed. You know, it's developed its identity and it's developed, a, you know, a, a small economy here. And I think that's that's come about from people just being enabled to do that, you know, by, by cheap space, really, not much else. But Well, yeah, sure. And I guess that to the to the point about where you are now and the project you're working on now, um, being a real result of some of the good and the bad, right? We're trying yeah. to look at some of the good and the bad and see how we can uh, address uh, where we're headed. Um, and I guess the Community Development Trust is an interesting model, I think, in its own right. 
even more interesting, I think, <laughs> in an area like Hackneywick and Fish Island, right? So how do you, what, what I guess for someone who's never heard of what you're doing, what are the kind of core goals? What, what, yep. What's happening at the moment for the Community Development Trust, yep. which is helping Hackneywick Fish Island to yep. become what it should become as a more equitable, fair yeah. place? Yeah, so the, so the kind of premise of it is that is that you have this, this organisation which is charitable, social, um, that is that is led by community members, um, for community members, um, and and the point of that that organisation is to is to is to hold space for the community to be able to um, do its thing, <laughs> whatever yeah, right. that may be. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. A bit, it's a bit loose. I appreciate. Well, that's the but vibe the, of the area, yeah, though, right? Yeah, I think because because I think the 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 experience of people working here for, for longer than I have has been that, you know, development does bring, you know, levels of improvement. It brings housing much needed. It, it can bring new facilities. Um, um, and when, when that happens, um, you, you know, we, we're, we're essentially handing over bits of land to the private sector and there's no real control, I suppose, as to what, ultimately what happens to that land long term mm. and i think while there's some great stuff happening it's there is a there is a concern i think amongst kind of community members that actually it can't all be about a private sector development initiative here and actually what we want to do is is support a kind of community wealth building i suppose agenda which means that you need to have some space and land and property in in a kind of community ownership model mm. so that the community can then hold it for whatever uses it may, may be. So um, it's to sort of try to hold, hold that, hold that space for people um, and do that in the long term so that you have a, so that you have a neighborhood, which is in terms of ownership is made up of some of the private sector, some of the public sector and a sort of civic sector, if you like, which is, which is a bit that we're trying to occupy. Right. And we think that, healthy neighborhoods and more equitable inclusive neighborhoods have that balance mm -hmm. um and and having um so that you so yeah so that and, and those and those three sort of institutions or sectors i suppose working together to to develop and improve neighborhoods right. with community so and i guess there is that sort of um you know where there's kind of alignment you know that the, there is some alignment in a lot of areas between all those sectors, right? But there are yeah. also kind of inherent kind of paradoxes, yeah. right? Which then compound over time to result in something yeah. that feels very different from what the original intention was. Yeah. And I think that's where I think the CDT comes in and Community Development Trust comes in in a really interesting part of that to say, here's the picture from the people on the ground that all of this stuff is supposed to be for. Yeah. So we're telling you exactly what that bedrock is feeling and maybe where you're not doing what you should or, yeah. you know, because I think well-intentioned or not, things can just yeah. change, Absolutely, can't they? Yeah. So when you think about the, the the journey to this point, you know, where the physics, busy, busy, ugh, biggest successes are, I guess, so far, or the projects you're working yeah. on at the moment, which are public, I mean, there's some really exciting ones. What are the what are the kind of most successful, most exciting yeah. things the, the Community Development Trust well, has? Yeah, I mean... Uh, things that we can share publicly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, yeah, I mean, the thing with land is it does take ages to actually kind of get a result and because and we don't have a, a big endowment or anything we you know we're, we're working on a um you know a, a, a basis of sort of explaining a concept and, and bringing our our strength is, is our as our links with community our understanding of the neighborhood and what works and how to support local economies so um so it is a challenge to have to kind of convince landowners to sort of partner with with us and the public sector and the, and the private sector both same we recognize that so actually what we've done is is try to look at some quick um or some sort of understanding of where the community need is in more detail and work out where their sort of gaps are in terms of where there might be an opportunity or where where something hasn't quite yet been developed but is in development mm -hmm. and and one of the areas that's come out quite strongly for Hackney Wick is um, this idea of a circular economy for the area where we waste less and reuse more of 
the waste products, whether that's residential, whether that's kind of business. And it's so interesting that there are a number of organisations already leading the way in the local area. Um, Silo Zero Waste Restaurant, for example, um, Library of Things, various others who are who are really trying to tackle this issue. So we've got some kind of really interesting organisations doing some stuff here. We've got a, a population that's that that sees this as a as a as a priority. It may not be the priority, but it is a priority. We live on a floodplain. We are directly affected yeah, right. by climate change. People really felt the the, the heat in the over the summer. You know, so. It's an issue, and we 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 need we want to try and tackle it at local level. Obviously, we know there's national things that need to be done too. But and so we we've brought together this kind of like coalition, I think, of businesses, of community groups, of of some of the big institutions in the area, private developers to say, okay, we want to try and do a kind of coordinated response. What could the strategy be for Hackney Wick? What do we need to look at? Um, where are the big waste areas, and what can we do to tackle that? And so we have a sort of an emerging project around this theme, uh, which is looking at um, waste in the creative industries with a particular focus on kind of textiles. We're looking at um, waste in the food and drink industries um, and how that can be re- re- how we can reuse some of the food waste to create and grow other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the kind of construction industry as well. And actually, are there innovations we can we can think about to reduce the amount of waste that's happening in building works um are there ways in which we can recycle some of the waste that is is you know has does come about into into local interventions so all of that mean, needs massive coordination <laughs> we're a little organization yeah. but it, but and it and it's it, it it'll work it'll only work if we work with in coalition and in with all the partners that have spread, you know, whether that's the end user or whether that's the big East Bank partners and funders and stuff. So, so we've got some funding from the GLA. Thank you very much. And the <laughs> LLDC. So have I. So we all got, <laughs> we're all grateful for them, but no, it does, it needs, you know, with these sorts of things where you're trying to sort of try and do something different or, I mean, or try to do something or try to scale something, you do need that sort of seed funding and someone has to step in and given we're a sort of small social enterprise, it's only ever going to be the public sector who does that initial piece. Yeah. Our job now is to lever in the other organisations. So we think we've got a few lined up with um, some of the East Bank partners who've got a big interest, possibly with land and possibly with funding. Um, and then once we get that in, you know, you then become attractive to kind of private equity and everything else. So we think... Um, we've got a, a really good sort of robust plan about how we can scale this activity and how we can show sort of Hackney Wick as a, as an exemplar. Um, and that's, that's the kind of big ticket thing at the moment. Um, and I'd say it's the thing that excites people the most, I think, whether it's residents or people involved in the project. So, um, and we hope from there we can demonstrate that we are value and by demonstrating our value in that we've understood the issues, we've got the right experts in the room to talk about it and give us advice. We're working with all our local network. Um, we're able to bring in funding. We can show to the developer that comes around the corner who wants to develop another slug of land here that mm. we're the organisation to work with because we can get, we can we can deliver something very local which has a kind of impact to what they're trying to do. Um, and be sort of self-sustaining as well as, you know, bringing in extra investment and extra partnerships. So that, that's the, that's, Not the, much that's the aim. That's the, that's the strategy we're trying to deliver. And yeah, so, but we're partway through and we'll. Yeah, it's early. Yeah, t- maybe two, three years time. We'll see whether, <laughs> how far we've gone. Working a long yeah. term here. This is yeah. a long it term. It is long term. It is long term, yeah. Okay, great. Well, I mean, the the thing for me that is really important about these conversations, and what I'm trying to explore in maybe a different way to a lot of a podcast, so to speak, is to try and kind of design around a problem together, um, to try and collectively develop new approaches, which is, I think, what we do through the Creative Enterprise Zone and the Community Development Trust working together all the time. But I think there's something to be said about kind of digging into the problem in a, in a granular way. Um, 
and something that we've you know just talked about there and we talk about a lot in our kind of conversations working together is this idea of you know how can we create more affordable space in the area and of course workspace is one side of that housing is certainly another um and i even think you could probably say community space even though both of those are community spaces there's certainly a missing link in you know you could go into health you could go into social you could go into youth service etc which you have a focus on so maybe if we structure the kind of how might we question for this is kind of how we can create more affordable space in yeah. Hattie and Fish Island. So that kind of being the goal that we're going to kind of work towards. Um, if we can kind of really from first principles think what is the issue that we're facing here in terms of affordability. Um, something to go back and forth on. I think essentially for me in my position in terms of the issue is something that you talked about a lot in terms of the the infrastructure to be able to play in that playground of space. There's such a premium yeah. on space uh, everywhere, but London is a beast in and of itself, right? And Hackney Wick yeah. is an even different beast inside <laughs> of London. Um, and you alluded earlier to the, to the kind of change over time. It's interesting to think about the issue from the perspective of 20 years ago. Like how much of an issue was it to do what we might want to yeah, do yeah. now then? Yeah. Right. Completely different set of challenges. Not easy still, but definitely a lot easier. Right. Yeah. But I guess the issue now is that the certainly to do with the Olympics, which was an incredible project, but it accelerated the change like no other. Right. Hackney Wick, Fish Island has undergone a makeover in maybe the shortest period of time I've known yeah. of. Yeah. Um, and so does the does the fundamental issue. Do you agree that it's the pace of change and maybe the the kind of lack of cohesive direction or do you think there are other kind of more underlying issues that mean that there isn't as much affordable space in the area? Yeah, it's, 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 there's no kind of single answer. Although obviously the big overriding piece of it all is the valuation, you know, the values within land and the, yeah. and the price of land and everything is, you know, is in, in London and, you know, it, it, but, but here as well, you know, the values are, are increasing and that, um, that means that the affordability becomes more more difficult to to realise. I think I think um, uh, that, you know that there's there's also sort of ch- sort of a whole load of competing pressures on on the system generally, in that we 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 do need to provide a whole load of affordable housing and even. The targets that we've set, we know aren't going to be enough. Right. You know, so that's, so that, so, so if you're, if you're in planning, you know, that's, that's the thing that's, you know, kind of driving, a, a, a kind of driving goal that you've got to try and achieve. Um, and, and I think sometimes it's the thing that overrides other things. And so you might have a, a trade off between, oh, actually, on, a, on any one particular development, well, we need to achieve a certain amount of affordable housing. Um, so we can't afford we can't afford to put in affordable because right. we, there isn't enough money in all in all of that. And, it, and as and as construction costs go up, I think it's going to get even harder. And I think some developments may not even go ahead. Um, right. You know, and that that will that can cause other problems as well. I mean, I think um, I think the yard theatres project is under real strain for that exact reason. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you had that piece, right, that you did about underused assets in yeah. the area that was reasonably extensive for yeah. an area that's... Yeah, and I think, so, because, and also, yeah, because the sort of context is changing and how the price of everything is changing as well, um, and the way the high street or, or the sort of, you know, kind of urban neighbourhoods are functioning is... is I mean, COVID has had a big impact because the way the you know the way we all shop and the way we buy things now is so much more online, and that yeah. was changing anyway. But you know, it's been exacerbated, accelerated, whatever. And so, um, so when you've got a kind of when you've got a, a, a development where you thought, oh, well, actually, I can, I can sort of guarantee that I'll get a retail owner to come and take this space off of me. You know, five years ago, that would have been we, we'd expect this sort of value for it. Those things aren't there anymore because um, 
the market has changed because our behavior has changed about how we go and do our shopping and how we engage with that, um, you know, the neighborhood in that way. And so I think there's something about how we, how we see that as an opportunity mm. and say, well, okay, the high street's changing. What else is changing? The way that we work is changing. More people are freelance. More people have got, you know, multiple different business organizations or interests that they've got it's not necessarily they go into the office and they yeah. go you know, all of that whole world has has changed and some of it will come back i'm sure but so there is an opportunity there for those spaces mm. if we can be nimble if we can put together um you know packages of of how to use space in a different way and we can try and find ways to do that fairly affordably um and there's, you know, and there's, I think there's probably a bit, being honest, there's sort of frankness about having some sort of investments into some of the changing those spaces that may have to come from the public sector or pu public sector, private sector partnerships. Then, you know, it's about kind of being agile and moving, moving the offer to what the needs are, yeah. you know, for today. So I see that as an opportunity if we can bring all the right people together and everyone can kind of see that this is, there's, there's this benefit to doing something a bit differently and not sort of sticking rigidly to trying to do a, a shop or right. retail space when, when the need isn't there. Um, yeah. And, and Hackney Wick has got loads of that examples of how that's done in spaces that are unusual, yeah. underused, you know, we, we have it in spades here. So we've got a really good track record of people doing that. I think so. Um, so I think there's a real opportunity there to do it differently. It's um, that, that issue, as you said, about the idea that, you know, land is slow or development is slow, but trends are getting faster and faster and shorter and shorter. So changing yeah. in work, you know, yeah. of course, COVID was the accelerator, but, you know, these changes were happening. It was just the, yeah. the kindling, right? Uh, who's to say that's not going to happen again in another five years to another side of yeah. what's important to the area? And when we think about who that affects in Hackneywick, Fish Island, it's, it's really acute, isn't it? Because it's it's the motive power that makes this area exciting and energizing yeah. and interesting. And if that's not being supported through all these various trends and yeah. headwinds and et cetera, we will just fundamentally or incrementally lose yeah. steadily the 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 beauty of this area, right? Yeah. So when we think about who it affects, I guess certainly for the the creative or the community side um pretty much everyone right in various yeah. ways uh yeah uh, yeah i mean I, yeah i i, I suppose that yeah is, there is i don't know there is there is a number of people who sort of are directly affected so if you're in a, if you're in a studio and it's currently costing you a certain amount you know as as the cost of living goes up rents go up mortgages changes you know all of those all of those factors, those those financial factors, will impact landlords and owners of property, and they 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 push the prices back onto the yeah. to the end user, and then the end user is like, well, I can't be here anymore, and the loss to Hackney Wick is is probably barking, and Essex's gain, but you know, <laughs> we, <laughs> we, we, we 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 really we really want to try and find ways in which we can provide that sort of sustainable. Um, you know, sustainable living and working environment for, um, you know, for the for the range of different people within our community. So it's not saying that everything has to be a certain level, but I think we just want to make sure that we have a a real mix here, and that, um, yeah, people who are part of this community can can find a way to stay to stay. Yeah. yeah. And I think there is something about the housing piece as well, which I which I often think we kind of don't look at as a the housing and the working kind of combination. And actually it's quite a feature of Hackney Wick is that you've got warehouse living where people are living and working in, in the same space. Um and um and that is part of the identity of the area and it allows for that model allows a sort of a level of affordability because people are have one rent to pay one set of utility bills so whereas if they had to do it separately it's it's double or something so so that means that that means that that community can be supported in an affordable way yeah without any kind of 
caps on rents or anything else. It's just the the way it's structured, the housing arrangement is structured, means they can be there. So, so that and I and I think that so that's quite a feature of the area. And I it, we we're really interested in how we can look at replicating some of that model and trying to find ways in which we can build sustainable living, working, co-living environments so that as development changes the area and some of these warehouses may get redeveloped, we know of a few that are going to be going through that, that actually there are alternative on the market that people can you know, live in. So, we, so we're not completely displacing and moving people out. So I'm really interested in that. And I'm also interested in the notion that because going back to the circular economy and the whole thing coming from a kind of environmental position that we enable more people to live and work in an area. So it's right. not that you have to do these great travelling distances, yeah, you exactly. know, that actually... Which was the beauty of the area, wasn't yeah, it? People you, really were here. Yeah. It was a neighbourhood. And because, it, yeah, and there's so much... The, the neighbourhood does offer a lot um, in terms of sort of, you know, the extra activities around that you can access and everything else. So, and it's, so I think, yeah... We're really interested in how you can sort of, for people that want to, be living and working in and around the same place because yeah. there's major you know, major benefits to that. Yeah, and I find that from here, like the most beautiful thing that always happens to me is that bumping into people, mm. like just walking around and, you know, a, just a walk to get a coffee turns into, you know, <laughs> an hour because but they're really few fruitful conversations to be had and oftentimes where the best ideas are shared, right? It's yeah. not shared over a, um, it's a bit like in co-working design, you know, and, and I think yeah, that's something yeah. that we always looked at before is best conversations don't happen in, uh, you know, over a reception desk, yeah. you know, they happen in a kitchen, yeah. you know, so why is the kitchen not the first thing you come yeah, into? Yeah. And oftentimes, yeah, I think the best conversations I've had are always kind of those more comfortable places. And I think when we think about the, I guess the factors that shape the issue. I mean, ecological things are um, really clear. Economic things are really clear. And I think oftentimes the kind of social and the cultural stuff is not as necessarily, maybe as not front and centre, but maybe just as understood. And I often think the change can be, in principle, really good. Mm. But then at the end they go, well, why didn't it, you know, why didn't people stay? Or why didn't they come back after being displaced? Yeah. It's like it's because they were displaced in the first yeah, place, yeah, you know, yeah. the, that is, yeah. it's good intentions, but then so, you look and go, well, the makeup's yeah. changing just because of that fundamental yeah, first yeah. step. Right. Yeah. And I think that's something that unfortunately will happen. And I guess the workspace providers have the issue or of trying to attract people back who maybe left Yeah. and say, you know, yeah. we've got the affordable space. We've got a pretty similar setup to what you had before, but then they look around and go, this kind of isn't why I was here. Yeah. <laughs> Where's that gone? Yeah, yeah. Maybe it has gone to other parts of London. I think it, yeah, I think it sort of has. I mean, mm. and this is what, you know, initiatives like the Creative Land Trust is trying to address, isn't it? It's to stop this kind of hollowing out. And 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 that, and that kind of goes full circle to have why you'd have a why you'd have a land trust in an area as well. Because you can, you can lock in space that you know the community can kind of control. And, it, yeah. you know, and, and so you retain that control over your over your neighborhood i mean yeah and so that's that's you know one of the key principles of having it i think because then you can and i and yeah i i i think i do favor the idea that land trusts should look at housing as well as yeah commercial because i think those two things they are so connected you you know more and more and uh so i i'm i'm very interested in how we can how we can look at that and develop that so do you think that the kind of merging of those models is a way into the problem in a different way? So in the sense of we, we think about what evidence we've got out there to kind of uh, justify that we know there is a problem. And you mentioned the Creative Land Trust who have done quite a lot of extensive yeah. research and kind of shown some pretty you know, quantitative yeah, yeah. evidence to prove that this isn't just something that's like, oh, we should put these people in there because it's a nice yeah. thing to do. It's like it has a benefit across the chain, yeah. right? But I guess we're looking at it from the perspective of that can solve one problem, but you know, even the artist-led housing stuff that we've looked at and worked on, and, yep. and you know, there are things in the area that I think could really be suitable for that. Do you think the the reframing of the problem around affordable workspace is to go take the work out its space, and yep. for people who inhabit those spaces, 
there really doesn't need to be a separation between the two as much. Certain sectors it definitely does. I mean, I have experience with fashion and I don't think anyone would want to live next to a fashion supply chain in their house. Um, but, you know, like a pattern cutting table or something or whatever it might be, a slim production thing yeah. would be totally yeah. fine. So is it, do you think the the kind of way into this, um, whether we're looking at how we can express it to the private sector, help the public sector to understand it more from where you can yeah. come in is to go, you know, the, the people we're trying to affect don't, care about that delineation as yeah. much i think i think you're right and i think there's was something something for me about often we think about the housing piece and how much we can get in terms of affordable and how much private we can get and how you know how the values all stack up and then the, the the ground floor or the commercial bit is almost a sort of afterthought and then it's sort of passed on to an estate agent to try and you know, try and get the value and i and i think what i'm saying is you know, oh, I, and I, I, I don't, yeah, I think, I think LLDC is, you know, they are, they are sort of curating space, I suppose. Um, That's the London Legacy Development. Yeah, sorry, and I, yeah, 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 and I think they are. I don't think it's, I don't think they say. I think it's unfair to say that they're not thinking about how does the whole piece work together. And then, you know, they do a lot of work on neighbourhood planning, and they, you know, I think it, yeah, I, I do think they do are doing that. Um, and, and it can, it, and it's a really challenging thing to get right and some things you get right and some things you know you learn from but I think yeah so I think some when it comes down to it there's a kind of there is this sort of separation at me uh, and, and 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 just trying to think through so we did a piece of work recently with a developer where we were going actually what's your resident population that you want to put in here who's this for who, who what bracket of people do you right. think this is going to be targeted at and how are they going to how are they going to benefit from your ground floor? And actually, rather than just thinking of your ground floor as a kind of a commercial value or for, or have a financial line to it, that actually it can deliver a hell of a lot for your resident population. I mean, many of them may want to have a studio space, so or they'll want a workspace, or they'll want you know a gym or a you know or a, or a, or a kind of just a kind of living room space or a library or a you know. So I think. It's sinking through uh, this ground floor commercial piece is is absolutely intrinsic to the to the residents that you're trying to sell. And actually, the the creative land trust piece of work was really good because it was saying, um, you know, look, they did look at it from a point of view of value, and right. they said you can get an uplift of something like eight percent if you put creative in That's industry right, yeah, per in annum, right? That was the right. So they've made they've made it they've made a really strong case about that financial impact. I think I'm saying that that's that's true and support what they're saying, and there is a benefit to helping you sell your flats and helping yeah. you retain if you're you know if you're in the rental business helping to retain your your resident population because you can offer a load of benefit through your ground floor if you've got that working really, really well. Mm -hmm. So that's how we've tried to look at it, to say, think of this as the added value, um, because that will help you deliver your overall strategy. Yeah. So, and I think that's, that's, that's the key thing. So whether it's, you know, a kind of live work thing for artists or whether it's, you know, there's a there's a load of flats and there's a load of commercial and they are separate but actually you can you can still work through a strategy support your resident population yeah. through that and that that's the way we've tried to talk to the private sector about it because we can start to see that that works for them yeah because what is that term when they're kind of separate but there's there's like a I think I remember we will cut this in the thing but I remember reading in Charlie's thing recently there was like a phrase used and I was like that's actually quite a good way to put it just like not as you say it, it's not like doesn't always have to be like the same space, the same thing. Yeah. It can just be a coupling of like it's X amount of square foot over yeah. two things. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. Um, and the, and the, the, uh, what I would say about this when I sort of get excited about um, this area is that we've got some great examples of some of that stuff happening informally, mm -hmm. and we've got a kind of you know with with an, with a development corporation like the LLDC who who've got a whole agenda around innovation being innovative and the area testing things and trialing things this is the sort of thing we should be thinking about you know it's right. very it's very 
sort of driven by local community and local need because we know that there's a demand and people are living like this already you know let's uh, let's try you know try develop something that can can sort of respond to that mm. um and bring in all these different partners and and I that's a, that's a great role for the LLDC to sort of enable I think and we you know be, yeah because we've got this sort of slight different sort of designation of area we can try yeah. stuff like that. It is, it is a sort Aspects. of slightly unusual space that we can potentially try this stuff in. Yeah. It's just being that kind of just set in the playing field to allow for yeah. a bit more of on the margin. Let's try some different things rather than it being like the whole, the whole. Yeah. And it's that yeah. being kind of non-playing referee type thing. Yeah, yeah. But I guess, you know, if, if we think about the, the people that it, um, or like personal experience. I mean, for myself, working in workspaces, creative workspaces for most of my life, aside from, you know, I was working as a musician and then doing that as the job that basically allowed yeah. me to be a musician most of the time. Yeah. Um, and I had studios. So typical, isn't it? So yeah, typical, yeah. yeah. And I mean, it's all of my friends yeah. um, and people that, you know, you people who are listening to this might know, listen to their music, would think, oh, they've got it made. You know, they've done well. I see them on tour. I do this, that and the other. You know, for them to have a full-time studio which really desire, it has what they need, their expectations are not unrealistic ones. And It's not the 80s and they've got a big mixing desk of 100 channels in front of them. They just need a space. Yeah. Living in the same borough. Um, to make enough money to do that is, there's a massive barrier yeah. to that for any new incumbents into that space. And the new incumbents are the people who live in the area, the young yeah. people of London, the, the, the kind of new and the next, the talented. And those hurdles just mean that there's a drop-off rate there of people yeah. that don't need to be there if there is a just a more, you know, um, just something that's more fair, yeah. I guess. Um, and it's not to say that there aren't fair models out there. There definitely are. And we know lots of people that deliver space for very affordable prices. But again, it's like that's, I think, so solving it in isolation, isn't it? Yeah. And I think there's a kind of bigger thing, which is what are we losing as a as a city, as an area, just by not having some new ways of thought, yeah. which aren't that radical. Because we've a lot yeah. of people have been trying to work on it for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And there's, you know, we're not coming to these meetings being like, okay, we've got something new for you. <laughs> yeah, it's like, just, this is what someone else is doing. Yeah, Let's it's just, happening. Yeah, yeah. Like, and it's yeah. working. Yeah, like, yeah. We don't, we just need a couple of levers nudged. Yeah. Right. And so I guess we know that, these things are affecting so many people. So if we think about, you know, how those people that we're talking about that are affected by the fact that there isn't so much affordable space, whether it's housing and workspace and the merging and the different things, like what do we think they kind of, what kind of matters to them the most, do you think? And what are the kind of major worries that they face being in this area and, and kind of preoccupations and, and aspirations, which feed into this which, reason sorry, which for this. people are you talking about well them? so i guess the community that these spaces would serve yeah, yeah. so whether it's local residents who yeah. can't afford to live here whether it's artists who can't afford to work here what do you think they're thinking and feeling when they kind of come around this area now or work in this area do you think there's a a general positivity or do you think there's a little bit of a malaise like where do you think the the tone is yeah i think it's different depending on who you talk to, if I'm honest. I think there's, there's you know, there's sort of... And rightfully so, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so some so some parts of the community that have been here sort of pre-Olympics, I, I suppose, um, and that would be, you know, people kind of living in Trowbridge Estate, you know, in the kind of north part of Hackney Wick. Um, they've, you know, they've sort of witnessed quite a, big change and um and i think you probably get a mixed response some people may feel yeah I, there's benefit here you know i can see that there's improvement to the area there's lots of things to do there's park there's um loads of activities to get involved with but some people may feel that that that's all been developed yes but it doesn't feel for them mm. for for lots of reasons so i think you'd probably get a mixed response i think some people have moved out and had to move on from sure. those spaces yeah. um play because uh, uh, rents have gone up or they've or they've sort of thought we'll we'll, we'll sell our house and move to some somewhere else um so there's a bit of churn there but i think yeah i, I you know i think that you do get a general narrative that oh, this is all really lovely but 
I don't know if it's for me. Um, and and that's a mix of, of of generations as well there. Right. So some people are multi generational mm. um, in the, in nor- the north part of Hackneywick. Yeah. And then that might be a different perspective to if you've just arrived and you're part of the new community and it's all very exciting and there's lots of you know exciting things to kind of get involved with and you don't necessarily recognize what people have you know uh people who've been there for a longer period might have, might be feeling about the change and how the change has impacted them so I think you probably get a more hopeful and buoyant and excited <laughs> response from it. Albeit, you still, we are still, you know, it's still a building site, it's still developing. And so, you know, that you get the challenges of that. And then, and then there's like sort of communities like the boating community, which I often think kind of gets overlooked a little bit in yeah. these conversations because I think people think that they're transient and that they have to move around a lot. Well, actually, I think there's quite a lot of permanent moors there and they're directly impacted by changes that are going on. Yeah. Um, Nice. And actually, how do we involve them in the com- in the conversation in a better way? I think would be really interesting for me. Um, you know, there's been a massive improvement to the tow pass and the and the canals and all of that stuff, but actually, some people have been moved on. Uh, you know, and there's new rules about how many boats you're allowed to moor alongside each other, all that sort of stuff. So you can't have the density that you used to have, and right. various other things. Yeah, I think. Sure. Um, and going back to the circular economy piece, I think it's a group that's quite engaged in that sort of thing, but also, you know, how do you support them to have the, boat, the boats to be more sustainable and all of that stuff? So there's loads of things, I think. Yeah. They're, they're often not necessarily involved in the conversation. Well, so I think, I think it's that the, the kind of pain of it, mm. of that, and the, like the pain and the gain, you know, it's like, and pain in that for me is oftentimes, you know, something that's, you know, community engagement, and we've seen it a lot, right? Like there's some great community engagement when new projects come around and some not um and the pain that comes from that is just feeling like over time why bother Mm. you know but i think where you come in and what you're trying to do with space is you're saying it's not just engagement it's like ownership yeah and yeah and and long-term ownership yeah so it's not a matter of going like yeah we'll do this short-term project for you and isn't that grand you're saying like not only are we going to hear your voice also you come and come and be part of it in a really like really real real way and that's the gain i guess of like people going you know what's um and that can be i think the beauty of that can be that it's not just people who were here 20 years ago and people who are here two years since uh since you know since this time today it can be everyone yeah you know if if you agree with the principle that there should be a fairer uh, distribution of opportunity yeah more people different voices etc then can be a part of it yeah whereas i feel like maybe some of the existing things it's like you kind of got to get down with the new program and that's what you're going to enjoy yeah and even if the best intention is there that that kind of historic indigenous yeah. voice is not going to vibe with that yeah, new yeah. voice right yeah and so without that ownership yeah piece which you're trying to bring to the fore yeah uh, well yeah i think i think we we uh, what i'd say about the cdt is that we we're really at the start of kind of getting something happening on space around this notion of circular economy like that, that there is an opportunity there but we are you know we are definitely like way away from having a, the kind of sort of structure that we'd like to have around how we can have regular conversations with communities how we make sure that we do reach listen to respond to involve provide opportunities to to all the different groups that are in our community i mean we've got a population of twenty five thousand, you know and we 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 try to you know get around to the different groups and networks and things like that but we definitely do not talk for everyone and with everyone and i think we are we're really aware of that and um so i think it's one of the things we need to work through over the next few years is is this is sort of like how do we Yes, get space for community and simultaneously develop the base um, and our and our and our legitimacy in, around community and our, uh, our our methods of working with and for community much better because because mm. we because we are so tiny it's really really hard to yeah, do right. that 
that is, that's not that's not an excuse. That's just where we that's are. I think. It, yeah. yeah. But I think, and I think that's the sort of big challenge is to sort of, um, you know, I often get asked, well, what does the community think about this? And I just think, I don't, I can't talk for the community. Right. You know, the it's just really, marks. yeah, it's really a hard place to be that I'm trying to do, well, not I, we, the group who are working on this, is really trying to get something going for a community of Hackney Wickham Fish Island yeah. residents and workers. But, um, I don't think it's the making exception, sure that though. yeah yeah I mean, oh god no I mean this is yeah this is a challenge for for like all kind of groups really but even like as a general aside like I'm reading this radical help book which is around you know improving um, social services and the welfare state and you know they talk about ideas for how to improve a social service and it's this idea that you know they they experimented and it was a very small thing but the impacts were amazing and the rebuttal was always like well it was so great because you only had to work with ten people and it's not the whole system and it's like. I understand that as an easy, like, gotcha. Yeah. And, like, cool, done, don't try these things. But the point of it is, like, if it has an impact there, yeah. we need to now see if it can in a bigger way. Yeah. And that yeah. then justifies why we go yeah. again. It's experimentation. Yeah. It's yeah. research and development. Yeah. And that's what you're doing with the idea of, you know, you, you have a youth coordinator now, you know, but yeah. then you could go, yeah. well, if you if we can do this much over five years, we can have 10 youth coordinators and yeah. every borough can have a youth yeah. coordinator represented in it. And yeah. how does that, again, that doesn't speak for everyone yeah. still, yeah, but it's no, part it, of a yeah, gradual yes, thing. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, it's a, it's a layering and it's a build up and it's a scaling. And so we, yeah, but I think it's worth reflecting that we, we, you know, that's something we need, you know, we, it will always have to be working on and, and right. building and have be conscious about and be sensitive about it as well mm-hmm. um yeah and so i think we when we think about you know in that kind of map you know what we hear from people i think we've talked about there and kind of what they see i think you've talked a lot about that especially with the boating community is a great example of kind of seeing change and and i think we see it every day just by nature of you know, if anyone is familiar with the area, it's it, it's felt like a building site for a long time, you know, in various forms, you know. Um, and in terms of what people say and how they uh, act in public, I think you definitely still have that kind of laissez-faire vibe. A lot of people come here still, which I'm like, they're like, oh, I've never been around here. And I, it blows my mind because I think, you know, and then by the end of it, they go, God, I didn't know there was so much opportunity and so many great things here. And you go, where have you been? Mm. But, you know, that's that's not their fault. You know, it's just London, isn't it? There's so much to, to do and see yeah. and so yeah. many things to work on. But I think what the community kind of says and does is oftentimes, I think, you know, regardless of the, the challenges that have happened over the past, you know, 10, 15, 20 years or whatever, I think what they do in terms of their resilience is is really always on show isn't it there's people engaged in forums yeah ideas like yourself uh like the trust um new models coming forward you know great art projects that just come out of nothing you know seeing like the run of the litter guys like you know that felt like a i was like wow that everyone's like, oh that's old hackney wick and you're like you know it's like it's it's here it's not old or new it's just here you know it stays here no matter what right so thinking about how we provide a better playing field in terms of affordable space for those people i think sort of the, the problem that we've seen is just those kind of maybe that lack of engagement in a i guess maybe lack of engagement and then results of the engagement yeah maybe that feels like something that we could look at more in a sense of like you don't just come here and talk and we do what we do yeah it's like actually taking those things and saying you know you have a really good perspective come join us in some capacity yeah, yeah. It's, you know donating some of your time or your knowledge because i'm sure you would take that with open yeah, arms, yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> Call out <laughs> anyone who wants to help. Um, and the kind of you know the the solution that brings is that participatory thing, right? Mm-hmm. More voices, not all the voices, yeah, yeah. but more. Yeah. And I think certainly in the from working on both sides for me, I think I was get I had a lot more voices kind of coming to me when I didn't have a a job in a council. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I think it was like now they're like, oh, it's a maybe a transactional thing or yeah. it's like, you know, what's your, what's the, da, 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 da. whereas when in the other world, it was like, you know, you're, do, you're doing something because you're here. You can see action. I think that's a really important point actually that, um, and this is where I, what I really wanted us to kind of make sort of retain with the CDT is that we need to be, a, we do, I, I don't want this to be some great big bureau, bureaucratic, you know, a, repl- a sort of quasi council thing. I think we want to be 
nimble, small, be able to move quickly. That's the beauty of these sorts of organisations is that, you know, they don't have to go through some great long hierarchical system of sign-offs and, you know, have great big procurement, you know, you or any sort of politics, really. You want to keep all of that out of an organisation like this and you want to keep it really, really nimble and be really responsive and be able to pivot quickly to when things change and you need to do something differently, you can do that. And that you can have, you know, that you don't get too involved with, with, with what's being delivered in the spaces, that actually your role is really about, um, like, securing it, first of all, but then just providing the platform for people. Because it's my experience that when it starts to become overly sort of regulated is when you sort of snuff out the um, the, the sort of creative element of it. And I think that's what Hackneywick has, has been able to blossom because I think that some of these warehouses historically, you know, they were relatively cheap back in the day. You know, artists could be here, all come together and just kind of get on with it. And there wasn't really anyone sort of looking at them and having, you know, saying, well, what's happening with this or doing that? Or I need what's to see a record of that. Add? Yeah, where's your gate? Where's your KPI? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not saying that you don't have any of that, but I no. think what we, because we do want to deliver impact, but we want to make sure that it's a space where people can experiment, be creative, you know, and have, keep that, that real kind of strong essence that we've got here, can I maintain that within the community? And so I sort of think, yeah, I, I'm very much of that sort of school of thought for this sort of project, I think. Um, and I think really, really interesting things will come out of that if we can get it working. Yeah. That way. Like, we don't really need to interfere. We don't really need to get involved. We know, you know, just set the right conditions and let things kind of flourish. Yeah. And so I guess that falls in the, maybe in the engagement stuff is maybe more of a, um, on in this context, a simpler way uh, mm. to address the, a, a solution to a problem. Maybe that sits in a slightly more complex bracket, right? Because it requires yeah. certain fundamental changes in certain things like value or, um, you know, you talked about procurement, lots of different things. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, Yeah, and also with engagement, I, I kind of, I, I'm also really aware that, and particularly with a circular economy project, is that like it feels like the CDT is sort of leading this particular project, and there are others in the community leading their own parts of this. But um, I don't want because we're small and and probably a bit slow because we are we can't get to everything. I don't want us to be the bottleneck for the project for things to happen. So I'm. I'm really conscious that actually when we do engagement on this is that we need to encourage more people to be leaders in this and to take the leadership role and to and to pick up the ball and and do their little bit. And if we've got 10 people who are all kind of committed to doing bits of it, we would achieve way more than if they all of those 10 people have to funnel through the CDT and then we have to process it and think about it and, blah, 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 and then it comes out. You know, it just, we just all slow it right down. Which, so it's, it's trying to think through how we how we develop the leaders within our community to, to sort of step forward and take, take on some of the responsibility for this uh, and, and, and work out how that's funded and how that's supported and how, you know, that, all of that's resourced. But I think that's, that would be, that would, that's the sort of thing I'm thinking about, like for the next piece around yeah. the sort of engagement piece, I think. And it's capacity, right? Yeah. I think that's it. That's what it rings true to me is that, yeah. you know, the, the end goal has got to, it's got to be clearly there and it's not about just putting all these processes and things in place to service it without an idea of like what we're trying to do at the end is for these things to exist. And I think that's what we've tried to do working together is for the creative enterprise zone as a project that has what it has Yeah. to then go, we're not just going to like do the thing and then go, well, there you go. It's like, how can we, by the end of it, leave something like the community yeah. development trust in a position where it can do these things on its own. Yeah. And then it can do what you've said there and empower other groups and other people. And it becomes a thing where yeah. the, the people are empowered to help themselves yeah. and done so in a fair way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That feels like the kind of thing that needs yeah. to happen more. Yeah. Cause I feel like the snowball effect of that would be huge. So yeah, big. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then it's one of those things that forget KPIs, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's beyond that. Yeah. You know, that's real change. Yeah. It's like yeah. big, big change. I, yeah. I agree. 
Yeah. And so I think that's maybe the maybe the thought is is trying to think about that idea of capacity. And I think it I think the big thing that I always found with physical spaces of people uh, working on creative projects is you know, building resilience over time was near on impossible. Yeah. You know, they're faced with so many challenges, yeah. macro challenges, day-to-day um, issues, which mean that they just never really have the space to be able to get past yeah. the thing that happened six months ago or 12 months ago. And so when the next thing comes along, yeah. they're just weaker yeah. every time. Yeah. And then eventually the, the, the levy breaks. Yeah. And I think that's something that we can look at with what we're talking about yeah, here. Yeah. Only so many times can the process happen before we go, there just isn't really room for it yeah, now because yeah. you've not fundamentally addressed a resilience and a capacity yeah, issue, yeah. which you know, as we've seen working together, even in a short period of time incrementally has had, has had impact. Yeah, and all it yeah, takes yeah. is that one little thing, one little thing, and yeah. then it's like, boom. Yeah, yeah. The 10 year marker, you know, so we've done 10 years of Olympic legacy and, you know, we're kind of looking at what, what does what the next 10 years look like? The London Legacy Development Corporation will change. Planning powers will go back to the councils. Councils will start to have more power and influence over the area, more co- more control where they've got ownership. But, um, and 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 so they can, you know, you can you can start to go. Okay, well, we are where we are. You know, for, let's forward look ten years. We've learned from the the LLDC's experience, and 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 actually, we've got, um, you know, we've got things happening locally. How do we build on that? What do we need to change? How can we how can we look at the next ten years and think what really matters here? Um, obviously, I'm going to say well, we would love that we have this this community ownership model up and running and well established and self sustained and you know where it is an asset in the community and be able to deliver a whole load of stuff for for local authorities and um, and communities. You know, and so it's very obvious to me there's alignment because the councils are here long term. The trust wants to be here long term. So we, you know, I see very much that we can do something where we have a sort of shared vision around sort of 10 years for this area and what that looks like, yeah. supporting um, and, and dealing with all the things we've talked about and how. And, and so I, I see there's an opportunity there to do yeah. to do that. Um, well, there's the call yeah. to action, right? For are. anyone who wants to, you know, has heard something in this and seen a way that they can impact, that's come and speak to the CDT in, yep. in Hackney Week Fish Island and uh, if any of it's resonated with you and you think you can move any of this stuff forward now is the time right yep yes um, please definitely Alex thank you thank you Patrick very good conversation mm-hmm.